Hello and welcome to Be the Serpent, a podcast of extremely deep literary merit with your classy and sophisticated hosts, Alexandra Rowland, Freya Mask, and Jennifer Mace. On today's episode, we're discussing The Gentleman's Guide to Vice and Virtue by Mackenzie Lee, The World That You Need, series of Vorkosigan fanfic by Dira Sudis, and In Other Lands by Sarah Rhys Brennan. And welcome to episode six, Cross Your Stars and Hope to Buy. I'm Alex, and I am a performative disaster. I'm Freya, and I am a disaster-free zone. <laughs> Which, uh, look, sure. it's a little bit of a lie. I am an occasional disaster. How about that? Uh-huh. I'm Macy, and I am a gleefully chaotic inflictor of disaster upon others. We are three red-headed fantasy authors. And today we're talking about disaster bisexuals. But first, what are we reading, fellow serpents? Well, I actually finished two books this week. I finished reading The War Game, which is one of a number in the Vorkosigan saga. I'm not sure which number. <laughs> by Lois McMaster Bujold. Look, it depends if you go by when they were published. Oh or my gosh. Chronology. I, I don't know. It's one of them. It was very... It's true, though. It was very enjoyable. It was military spy space hijinks. It was lovely. And I also read a book that I want to heartily recommend to everyone. Mm-hmm. It is a Regency FF romance about a young woman who assumes the identity of her dead brother in order to go away to the Peninsular Wars, and she develops this really great soldier bro friendship with one of her commanding officers, and the story is about what happens after the war when she comes home and meets and falls in love with her friend's sister. It is very well written, it is full of feelings, it's very funny, the period research is fantastic, it's called The Covert Captain. By Janelle M. Ferreira, and you guys should absolutely read it. Everybody should read it, and then we can do an episode on cross-dressing. Yes! That does sound delightful. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I want it. All right, well, I have been frantically trying to catch up with you two because I hadn't read either of the two tentpoles for this episode or the fanfic tentpoles. So, and we're doing this one week after the last one. So I will actually, though, I did read two really awesome short stories this week that I'm going to mention. And one of them is called The Secret Lives of the Nine Negro Teeth of George Washington by Fenderson Jerley Clark. And it's this fascinating kind of array of fantasy and horror stories about the the previous owners of the teeth that George Washington bought. And it appeared in Fireside pretty recently, actually. I think it was in February. So that one's online for free and you can find that. And it's not super long. So strongly advise reading that one. And the second story I'm mentioning is called Mr. Try Again by Merck Rustad. And that appeared in Nightmare Magazine. So it's a bit of a horror story about a swamp monster that kidnaps little girls to lure little boys into the swamp. And the main character is, I believe, non-binary. And it's a great spooky horror story about revenge. And I love it. Delightful. And I have completely cured myself of falling into the person of interest fanfic hole and promptly fell into the Dragon Age fanfic hole, which is... (laughs) Particularly special because I've never played Dragon Age. I have no idea who any of these characters are. (laughs) 
really Alex, it comes Alex, why? I'm sorry. Did you ask me why? Why? Be- because why? Astolat? Oh my gosh. That is a time-honored way of discovering a fandom is by just diving headfirst into the fic because someone you know is writing it. So here's what happened. Here's what happened. I <laughs> was I I got tired of all the the person of interest fanfic. I decided I wanted to read some Astolat fanfic. And then I read the Witcher fanfics because Freya recommended yes. them to me and because we had just finished the Fealty episode and Freya had told me that there were there was some Fealty stuff in the the Witcher fanfics that she wrote. So I read those. Those were great. Yes. But nobody else writes Witcher fanfic is the problem. Right. And then I was like I'm going to read a couple more Astolat fics. So I scrolled like two more fics down her like list of work and there was a Dragon Age fanfic and I was like I don't know what this is I mean I know it's a video game I don't know what this is didn't didn't Emily have an awesome long Dragon Age fanfic Freya yes she does oh my gosh we're not going to link it to you Alex because edits yes I am I've been really really bad (laughs) I should be working on editing my manuscript for my poor long-suffering editor and I have not been I'm a little bit behind where I I should be. I'm not quite up to quota. So, hey! (laughs) Speaking of me being a disaster, (laughs) let's continue with the episode. So first of all, as is tradition, some taxonomy of disaster bisexuals. When we say disasters, what are we talking about? What kind of types of disaster bisexuals are there? Discuss. Well, being as organized and thoughtful and systematic as we are, we have come up with four main disaster bisexuals that we have sorted some of our favorites into. I'm sure you, dear listeners, can come up with many more categories, but we felt these are the ones that are going to be more fun to talk about. And also four is just a good number for sorting things, I feel. It is. So so would you, would the two of you explain the types of disaster bisexual that we've come up with, since you yourselves are the disaster bisexuals and I'm only the token heterosexual on this podcast? <laughs> sure. Well, we can swap off if you like, Macy, so I will start. So the first one on our list is what we have described as the sad, floppy disaster. And I think this is mostly describing somebody whose disastrousness is mostly in the area of feelings, because the best example I could come up with was Damon from Captive Prince. If you are playing along at home and you have created a Be the Serpent drinking game in which take a shot. Which you should have done by now. Which you should have done by now. I am almost certain Freya mentioning Captive Prince will be on the take a shot list. So there you go. Preloading early in the episode. I mean, in fairness, in this episode, they're already somewhat drunk given the number of times we've said Astolat. That's true. That's true. I'm so sorry. Let's make it a a hat trick. This is for you, dear listeners. Lubricant. Oh, for heaven's sake. (laughs) Okay, please continue. Okay, but back to Damon. Damon. So Damon of Captive Prince, he he was not the person that kind of person that you would think of really as sad and floppy in all of his life, but when it comes to his bisexuality and especially his feelings, he spends a lot of time pining and being slightly useless in the area of feelings. So that's why he fits under there. He's only really a disaster in that area of his life. He's actually something resembling competent in general. True, yes. So, well, and we decided that he kind of also fits into the second category, which is what, Macy? The second category is punch you in the face disaster bisexuals, which are great fun to bring on adventures and brilliant for driving plot. And they're mostly disasters that happen to other people. Kind of. I would argue that there are definitely disaster bisexuals who like ruin their own life by punching the wrong people in the face. Mm, That's fair. 
That's true. Our example isn't that kind, though. Our example, Punch You in the Face, Disaster Bisexual, is Rosa from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Yay! Yay! We love! We love Rosa. And who is, whose actress is also canonically, and by canonically I mean in real life, a bisexual. <laughs> so, you know, we approve of that kind of thing. It's an interesting use of the word canonically. <laughs> Listen, I like edited in the middle of my sentence. If you wanted me to appear coherent, this was the wrong topic. We all get a chance to be incoherent. Speaking of incoherent, disasters yes our next category is the chaos disaster which we are going to get into great detail about because yes. the two protagonists of the books that we want to discuss in detail uh, the two books are the gentleman's guide to vice and virtue by Mackenzie lee and in other lands by sarah reese brennan and their protagonists monty and elliot are absolutely chaos disasters so we will get yes. into great detail there i think this is my favorite kind of of disaster bisexual. I have a lot of feelings for literally all of these. In fact, that's awesome. Like so many feelings, but particularly the last kind, not a disaster at all, the terrifying competent force of nature bisexual. And I think uh, two of the examples we came up with there are actually from the book that you mentioned, Freya. I think Aral Vorkosigun is in The Vor Game. Is he not? He's sort of a side character in that one. Yeah, I think he's, he's briefly there. It's mostly a Miles book, but Aral definitely appears. And it's actually the first time that you have the appearance of Joel. Is actually in the ball game. <gasps> yes, and Aral Vokosigun in particular is the subject of our fanfic tentpole in this episode. So we'll be talking about that a bit later, which is the The World That You Need series by Dirasudis. And our other competent bisexual is Alana Bloom from Hannibal, who I love deeply because she is a badass and gets to win against Hannibal in that she survives and has a beautiful wife and a small child. And I love that she survives in a horror show. Like the queer women never get to survive the horror mm. shows. I think of all of uh, bisexuals, Alana is the one that is like my chosen avatar in the fictional world because yeah, she is terrifyingly competent and she wears beautiful dresses. <gasps> and suits. And suits. Oh, her clothes are so good. Oh, and her blouses. So good. So we love all of these types of disaster bisexuals. What is so appealing about the disaster bisexuals? And I think we're going to be focusing a little bit on chaos disaster with this question, because that seems to be the most pure form of it, at least in my perception of it. Well, I think it depends how you're applying the disaster yeah. label. Like As we described, punch you in the face disasters can happen to other people, but they can definitely drive plot by doing that. Chaos disaster is probably the most pure in terms of plot production because of the way they run their life. Yes, I think that if I have to pick a favorite, I'm going to pick Chaos Disaster because I find it very endearing to <laughs> watch a character run face first into a wall in their personal life over and over and over again. <laughs> uh, maybe. Uh, I don't know. But do you but do you want them do you want them to keep running into the wall like at a certain point, surely you want them to, like, develop some wall awareness skills. Yeah, so, like, that's another question. Like, do they have to have an arc of disastrousness? Like, they start out a disaster, but by the end of the book, they sort of amend their ways and become at least more self-aware, if not slightly less disastrous. Like, does that make satisfying literature, or can they be consistently disastrous and have that still be fun to read? What do you think? That's an interesting question. I don't know. I feel like hmm. I personally really do have a preference for brilliant characters who are brilliant in at least one way. Not necessarily always, 
So, for example, Elliot is deeply brilliant in many ways, but also a complete chaos disaster simultaneously. So I'm more okay with Elliot not growing out of his disasterness because he has other aspects of his life that he is brilliant in, whereas something more, somebody more like Monty, who is just kind of generically, in general, really a disaster, I do want a bit of an arc there. Well, I think both of them have romance stories within their books. And I agree, I think the, the good thing about Elliot is that, that his kind of disastrousness and whirlwind and things happening around him is going to continue past the end of the book. But he has, to a certain extent, sorted out his emotional and interpersonal disastrousness on the most important level to the reader. So I was going to say, like, the thing that I see about both Monty from A Gentleman's Guide to Vice and Virtue and Elliot from In Other Lands is that we don't see just one relationship plot arc in that book. Like, there is the romance line, but there's also a friendship line mm. and a family line. And so you get to watch them, like, sorting out all of these different kinds of relationships that they can have with people. And actually, I want to jump off that because I thought you were going to talk about something else when you said that, which was both of both Monty and Elliot, we see having more than one romantic relationship, or at least sexual relationship. And I was going to ask, you know, do you think that there's anything inherently disastrous about bisexuals? I had feelings about that because I was thinking about this when we put this episode together and had those two books in that both of them do have multiple at least contacts and, yeah, I suppose relationships across it. And is there something that's happening there with the promiscuous bisexual trope trope yeah but there is a very clear difference there in that Elliot at least is the kind of person who is always looking for an intense romantic relationship he's every time he is with someone he is potentially hoping it's going to be the one forever relationship right and I think he only has one sort of deliberately casual sexual encounter in the book and doesn't get a lot out of it and decides not to do that again and there's a lot of disastrousness around imbalance and cultural differences and <laughs> misunderstandings that are quite understandable uh, to do with his interpersonal relationships, whereas Monty starts the book in love and continues to be in love with the same person throughout the whole book. He just has sort of casual, ill-advised <laughs> sexual encounters <laughs> throughout it. So they're, they're quite different <laughs> romantic arcs and they're doing quite different things with showing them having multiple partners, I think. Well, and I think that for me, one thing I love about all three of our tentpoles here, including the Vorkosigan fic, is that they do show the characters having relationships with at least two genders, themselves and other, which to define the terms, when we say bisexual, we mean same and other, not to get into the whole pansexual debate. But each of them each of our three temples has a very different approach to relationships, and in the Vorkosigan fic we see polyamory as well as bisexuality. Have we mentioned which fic it is yet? I believe so, yes. But at some point we should possibly define our stories and talk about what they are. So the the first tentpole is The Gentleman's Guide to Vice and Virtue by Mackenzie Lee, which is a YA slightly fantasy it's a, there's a there's a little bit of magical realism in there and it is set in what is it regency i call it regency the regency era roughly regency and it is about a young man monty who is sent off on tour with his sister and his best friend percy and they have adventures and escapades <laughs> and if you're looking for a 
book with a lot of logic in it. <laughs> this is possibly not the book for you because they do manage to get across France and Spain. Like these these well-bred... Kind of useless. Kind of useless. Actually, no, the sister's not useless. Yeah, the, okay, yeah, the sister isn't useless. But these like well-bred, well-born, foppish. educated, foppish... Teenagers. Teenagers, yeah. Managed to get across France and Spain by themselves. With horses or without? I forget. I think with horses, but it's unclear that they actually fed the horses anything at any point. So I can't imagine how long those poor horses survived. Yes. And there's a little <laughs> bit of, of criticism I have with the way that boats work in this world. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I have some criticisms about the way that physics works, because let me tell you, a tunnel built of bone is not watertight. Right, right. You know, but let's not get too nitpicky here. It is an extremely enjoyable book, and I had so much fun reading it. It's great. I loved it. And the prose is beautiful. Like The prose is beautiful, and I honestly did love Monty. I know that Macy had some I some feelings so. about yes. Monty, uh, which is fine. Macy is allowed to have feelings about Monty. My feelings about Monty are I adore him. I want to like save him from himself, basically. <laughs> I want to wrap him up in a blanket and explain to him like why he's an idiot. I just, when you introduce a character to me by having them piss out a window, I have opinions, okay? That you That's have fair. To- I, I, I want that to be redeemed, and it super wasn't. You, you're more than welcome to have your opinions. I will counter all of your opinions with, I honestly really loved this character, and I had so much fun with this book. Yeah. That he is definitely a disaster bisexual. He is the He's most so... disaster, like, of all of our yes. disaster bisexuals in this episode, Monty is the most disaster of the bisexuals. What is the next tentpole? Yes, I get to talk about In Other Lands by Sarah Reese Brennan. So good. Yes, uh, I love this so much. So it gave this, me a lot of feelings. Yes, this book is great. It started life when I read it first on LiveJournal as a serial project, and I believe as a prequel for a short story that the author had written for an anthology. And she got a bit enthusiastic and accidentally an entire novel. <laughs> As one does. We're so glad that she did. We've all been there. Let's be honest. We've, we've all been there. Actually, I have been there, yes. Yes. I am not being hyperbolic. Just a little side note here. Did you know that A Conspiracy of Truths was only ever supposed to be like a fun little casual side project while I worked on something else? I don't disbelieve it. <laughs> That's exactly how my novel got started. That's the normal way for novels to exist. Listen. You have to accidentally your, your novel listen, or else it will never get done. I, my entire novel was created because I wanted to hatch an egg and have it be a kitten. And that's not even in the friggin' book. Okay, so... So now that we've clarified that we are all disasters of our own making, continue. We are all disasters in our own special ways. But In Other Lands by Sarah Reese Brennan is a portal fantasy YA in which a bookish, excessively grumpy, sarcastic main character who I love dearly climbs up a wall into a magic land with mermaids and harpies and constant war and he has opinions about this what i love about him is that he is so genre savvy yes. like he knows exactly what he's getting into he absolutely i think there's one point where he talks about that one magic book with the lion that has christmas in it and i'm like yeah. yes but the thing that this book does amazingly is it has this matriarchal elven culture which is literally just our culture gender flipped. 
And so the main character, Elliot, ascends into magic land and lays eyes upon an elven maiden and declares himself in love. And so there's this relationship throughout the book where the elven maiden is in her culture a dude bro. She's such a bro. It is amazing. She's such a bro. She makes comments about how like Elliot's like, I could grow a mustache and Serene Heart in the Chaos of Battle, which is her name, is like, well, I understand that hair is natural, but don't you think you should be taking better care of yourself than that? Yeah, she makes comments like that all the time. And like, it's so well done because every time she makes a comment like that, you realize that you have heard this out of the mouth of some guy and thought, and just sort of shrugged it off like, oh, you know, society. Right? Right? And and so she says things like that and it really kind of takes you by surprise and it makes you realize how weird and fucked up it is to say that to a person. And so this whole book is this glorious commentary on bisexuality, kind of just by the world. And gender stuff. And, and gender roles, right? And there's this line that I have here where Elliot is thinking about after he's broken up with Serene, sorry, spoilers again. He thought that quite possibly his previous experience meant he would be uniquely qualified to understand how difficult it could be being someone's girlfriend or the small indignities that you suffered when you were trying to be intimate with someone trained to believe you were not altogether their equal. Yeah. Because he's been the girlfriend to Serene. He's been the gender that is meek and delicate and to be protected. And it's just, ah, oh, I'm like, Sarah East Brennan coming for my life. <laughs> He's a very reflective character, which I love because that genre savviness means that he's constantly thinking about everything in his life and probably overthinking everything oh, in yes. his life, obviously. Lest we mis we mislead you as to his lack of disasterness, he is a complete disaster. He oh, is completely. A, he's an absolute troll. He will mouth off to anybody. He tries to get punched in the face on occasion. He has no brain to mouth filter. He's amazing. We love him. And it's very clear that it's a defense mechanism. Like it is explicitly said in the text that he acts that way because of his upbringing and the fact that he had an, an absent mother and a completely distant father. And he learned very, very quickly that the best way to get attention, any kind of attention, was to be as provoking as possible. And one of his, you know, stopping running at the wall arcs is the fact that he slowly <laughs> undoes some of those things that have been built into him since childhood and slowly starts to learn to give and receive attention in a different way and to be more honest when he spends the most of the book completely hiding his feelings under either hyperbole or sarcasm to the extent that that, that, that really gets in the way of him forming meaningful relationships because a lot of the people either misunderstand or just assume that he's not meaningful in what he's saying. Which is kind of a thing that happens in Gentleman's Guide as well, because Monty is set up as this very sort of flirtatious and doesn't take anything seriously character, which means that Percy, his best friend with whom he is in love, doesn't actually ever believe that Monty would feel that way about him because Monty's just, that's how the way he is with everyone. Yes, Monty just flirts and Monty kisses you and then it doesn't mean anything because that's who Monty is. Yes, and meanwhile Monty is going into a death spiral of feelings and panic and amazingness <laughs> because he's finally kissed the person he's been in love with for years but none of that's obvious speaking as a performative disaster i have so <laughs> many feelings about elliot learning that he doesn't have to be hyperbolic for people to like pay attention to him and take him seriously and like how he sort of becomes aware of all his sharp corners and how 
saying things without thinking can hurt other people and how hard he works at becoming a better person. And this is what I wanted from Monty. Yeah. And didn't get. No, I think Monty is self He's self-centered enough that he works hard at repairing and upholding the relationships that are important to him, but not at changing on a more fundamental level, I think. What about the, the third temple? Does Freya want to talk about that one? Sure. So I read this quite recently because, as I said, I only just got up to the part in the Morkosigan saga where one of the characters, Joel, is introduced. So this is a series of fanfics, so a lot of linked stories called The World That You Need series by Dira Sudis. But the main story in it, the longest one, which I think is about 33,000 words? About that, about 30,000. Yeah, so there's a few before it and there's quite a few after it, but the main sort of part of the story is the story called Everything That You Can Keep. And the relationship in it is, it is polyamory, so it's not a triad. It's about the relationship between Arl Vokosigan and Lieutenant Joel, his sort of military secretary which occurs concurrently and with the permission of Arl's wife, Cordelia. And I love OG3s. So for a very, very long time, this is can be this can go on the drinking game, make a note. I have absolutely adored every kind of OT3 fic, whether it is usually I prefer the ones that are sort of balanced or at least unbalanced in an interesting way triad, but I also do enjoy reading about V relationships like this one. So I do have a lot of feelings about bisexuality used in fanfic, either based on the canonical sexuality, which this one is, or based on obviously fan and bisexuality as a key factor in writing these kind of OT3 relationships. So I haven't actually read Gentleman Joel and the Red Queen, which is a more recent Vorkosigan book. Yeah, that only came out within like the last two or three years ago. Yeah. And am I right that the fic was written before? The fic absolutely was. Yes, the amazing thing about this fic is that it posited the relationship between Errol and Joel before there was like any evidence of it in canon whatsoever. And then Gentleman Joel and the Red Queen came out and made it canon, and everyone was shocked and delighted. And obviously we all really enjoyed this fic, because it has quite a few fealty aspects to it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> just, to, just to throw everything back to other things that we love. It does some stuff that I really appreciate about the Vorkosigan books in general. So the Vorkosigan books are MIL-SF, Military Science Fiction, but they're so thoughtful. There's so many world-building aspects between the different worlds and how they treat gender and reproduction and relationships between adults. And it thinks about disability. It doesn't always get it right, but it thinks about it. And I, I really admire that about the books. And so there are a couple of fics, this one is one of the two, that tackle the fact that the main world that the Vokosigan books are set on, Bariar, I think you pronounce it, is a fairly backwards world socially. It's fairly conservative. It has very traditional gender roles. It has nobility and an emperor and... And fealty. And, and fealty, of course. Yeah. Emperors and fealty go together like something and something. Like milk and milk. But, sh sure. <laughs> where, where, why milk, Alex? I don't know. It was the first Listen. thing that came to mind. I think, like, I was, I think I was riffing on like milk and cookies. Okay. <laughs> I don't know what I was doing there. I'm a disaster. What do you expect from me? And you're not even bisexual. Anyway, equal opportunity disasters. My point about Vokosigan was this world has issues with people being queer in a way that reflects or 
is more severe than our world. And there's some fanfic that really kind of tackles social change. And the books also tackle social change. But I'm thinking about A Deeper Season, which I forced Alex to read. That was so good. So good. But that one was a relationship between Alal's son and the emperor. Whereas this fic is, uh, has a whole plot line about basically a secret society of gay men within the military who protect each other from being discovered and I believe executed. Uh, I don't think executed, but at least like publicly shamed. I think and... before the law was passed, executed. I don't remember. It's been a little while since I read it. So I like world building and I like social change in stories that actually tackle queer issues. And I think some of the, if you're looking at fantasy stories that tell queer love stories, often the way that they treat the world building around sexuality is something that we wanted to have a, probably another episode about later on that I was just thinking again about Damon as disaster bisexual and the fact that in his world bisexuality is kind of assumed and there's a lot of interesting cultural stuff when you have the overlap between the country that he gets sent to yeah where they almost have compulsory bisexuality I feel like to do with they, they almost yeah. they almost have compulsory homosexuality apart from marriage yes. yeah so there's this assumption that you will have that all your casual relationships will be homosexual because of the intense fear around bastardry and having people born out of wedlock, which I thought was a nice way of, obviously, if you want to make your world building set up so that same-sex relationships are the, are the norm, or at least absolutely unremarked upon, that's a really interesting way of going about it. And on that, there's a TV show that I love, Killjoys, that is also kind of science fiction, that everyone's just gender doesn't matter when it comes to sexuality and that's just how it is and it's kind of unstated people just flirt with other people regardless of gender and they make jokes about it and it's just very refreshing actually so the character that you wanted to talk about for the show macy did you name them in particular then because they are yes. the disaster character well so the character that i love is called dutch and she is kind of a disaster in some ways she has a lot of things going on in her life a lot of her relationships don't ever really quite work out, but she's like a badass bisexual bounty hunter. She's like the triumvirate of bees. And I just appreciate that she gets to be a kick-ass character and the sexuality has nothing to do with it and the show doesn't fetishize her in any way. So is she a punching people in the face bisexual? Yes, she is exceedingly a punching people in the face bisexual. Very nice. She is like a trained from childhood assassin. I love her. And you had some other, so I guess we wanted to see then a little bit into talking about just a little bit of a list of bisexuals on television that we have loved. Well, I mean, also, because... I find it interesting recently, I feel like TV has started actually showing queer folks in a more normalized way. And it's been kind of a real shift. Yeah, I agree. If you think about, like, I may be showing my age slightly here, but when I was in high school and everybody was obsessed with the OC, there was a whole thing around the fact that Marissa had this very short relationship with another woman, which was essentially around rating season. It didn't last very long. There was some prettily shot making out on a bed. I can't actually remember how that storyline ended. It was rather stupid. But it was this whole idea of turning a character by for ratings and then it is never mentioned again and doesn't seem to, like the person never takes on bisexuality as a label or refers to it again. But I think that's something that you would definitely see less and less of today. I think TV shows are being a lot more explicit about it and they're obviously still much less good about it with bisexuality than they are about homosexual characters of either sex, I would argue. 
but you're seeing more and more outright, either labelled as such or very certainly presented as such bisexuals on TV. And we mentioned Rosa. Yeah, but, but the one that the the one that I'm remembering from, I guess, was it the '90s or the early noughts? The bisexual that made me angriest was Willow from Buffy. Yes, because excuse you, she is not a lesbian. I mean, hmm, okay. Complicated feelings around allowing actual real-life human beings to identify however they want, but she canonically had a meaningful relationship with a young man who the show showed her very much as attracted to. And then they set her up with several other women later on in the show and completely removed that part of her history. Yeah, Grey's Anatomy did a similar thing with Callie. And look, I, fair disclosure, I have not seen a lot of Grey's Anatomy. I think I saw the first maybe four seasons? Just just, just and four I seasons. A, just four <laughs> seasons. Look, I don't actually know. I think it's up to like season 17 or something fucking ridiculous at this oh point. I've got no idea. There's maybe two original characters left. But anyway, Callie was shown to be have serious feelings for one of the main male characters. I think they may have been engaged at some point, possibly married. I can't actually remember. And then when that relationship ended, her next relationship was with a woman and then all her subsequent ones were, and it was all very much about that was her narrative now. And they may have, they may have reversed it. They may have actually applied different labels if I had kept watching, but I did leave a bit of a sour taste in my mouth at the time that they were very much like, oh, nope, now she's a gay character. Y'all, I just realised something. You know who we forgot in our notes? Who? You know who we fucking forgot? Captain Jack Harkness. Shit! Fuck! Damn it! <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> okay, podcast cancelled. Close up shop. It's over, guys. I think, I think because... You know why it happened? It happened because I don't actually apply the label bisexual to him because he is, like, the prototype of pansexual with pan That's having really the good broadest point. possible meaning... Yeah, so even though we are defining bisexual as the self and other, I think Jack Hartness is the one fictional character that I that I always think of as pansexual, pan meaning literally anything sentient, no matter if it, it's if like... it is sentient and can consent, then he's down. Oh, but okay, okay, but listen, but listen, <laughs> let's broaden our description then to disaster polysexuals, okay, as opposed to monosexuals, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Argue with me about the disaster rating of Captain Jack Harkness. What? Okay, if he... First of all, Ooh. first question. Is he a disaster? <laughs> He's such a fucking disaster. Yes. Second Absolutely. question. Absolutely. When we meet... When, okay, when we meet him... When we meet him, I think he is a chaos disaster. And then post-Doctor Who Tulchwood, he is a very strange combination of sad, floppy disaster <laughs> and... I don't even know. I feel like he just carries a disaster aura with him. And everybody else in that show became infected with it. I think Jack Harkness is like a category unto himself. <laughs> yeah, category five, the Jack Harkness bisexual. But I, I, I bring him up because we've been talking a lot about there's a lot of thick bisexual men and a lot of TV bisexual women. Mm. Yes. Because women kissing women is pretty, but you want them to still be available for boys. Ew. <laughs> yeah, fuck boys. I mean, yes. Right? But, like, am I wrong? No, you're not no. wrong. So, that's why I'm like, Captain Jack Harkness was the first queer thing I ever saw on TV, and I can still remember was Yanto and Jack kissing in Jack's office after a particularly egregious, terrifying episode. And I saw it, and then I went online afterwards, and I found the video clip, and I'm like, wait, they can do this? 
And it's even more interesting if you think about the fact that Jack Harkness was presented in Doctor Who, as which is a TV show aimed at children, essentially. It's a family yes. TV show. And that was a couple of years before the, the Torchwood spin-off. And he right. was presented in a in a way where he literally, quite literally, kisses the female companion, Rose, and kisses the Doctor, one after the other, after having spent an entire episode flirting with both of them and most of the other people on screen. And it was absolutely played straightforward, this is just the way it is. And you're right, it was a, it was a long time ago now, but it was incredibly jolting, and I think fandom seized onto it, but it, even for the people who are not sort of fandom-focused, it would have been a very interesting, something that wasn't seen before, a lot. It's nice to know that the world is getting better a little bit at a time, even though it really doesn't seem like it lately. But, like, we really have made some big, big strides in the last 10, 15 years. And it is very interesting also, because I know, Freya, you've watched a little bit of Revenge. How would you describe Revenge as a TV show to our listeners? Ooh. So Revenge is essentially a retelling of The Count of Monte Cristo set among... What? Yeah, did you not get that? Is it? Yes. No! <laughs> Damn it! Yes! <laughs> it's a retelling of The Count of Monte Cristo <laughs> starring a deeply Slytherin, like, ruthless blonde girl who is attempting to get revenge on the people who brought down her father. By going in disguised as this like glamorous stranger, that's what revenge is. But it's it's like it's like it's not quite a trashy sitcom. No, it's it's a little bit smarter than that. This honestly sounds like it's relevant to all of my interests. It's amazing. It's pretty great. I mean, it's terrible, but it's amazing. But she is not bisexual. No. But there is a Alex. I don't care about spoiling you about this. Do you care about me spoiling you about this? Nope. Go right ahead. There is her best friend slash money launderer, Nolan Ross. Slash strong fealty overtones. Just that saying. so much fealty. He is so loyal to her. Yes. It's Nolan Ross is a sad, floppy disaster bisexual. Yep. Uh, he is tall and blonde and very floppy. And he is a genius tech founder with a ton of money and zero sense. But he is a TV bisexual boy. And it's interesting because I think you're right in that thinking about the genre of television that Revenge is and the kind of story that it's telling, you would, if you were having low expectations, expect Emily. Is Emily the name of the character or the actress? Character, I believe. Well, it's confusing, right? Because she disguises herself. She's got like three names. She has anyway, so many names. I, the, Emily is the one that's coming to my mind. You would expect her to be a fairly performative TV bisexual yes. if anybody was because she's all about it's almost a, it's not really a spy narrative but it's got a lot to do with sort of lying and disguises and plotting and going undercover and manipulating your enemies so you would expect her to have some kind of flashy making out with another woman scene if anybody would right so the fact that they had Nolan as the bisexual character is very interesting I think but it's also interesting in that it's it's not that old a TV show but certainly in season one, there is a plot where Nolan is recorded making out, having sex with another man. And, and this is used as blackmail material that would ruin him. And it's interesting because I'm not sure that that would be done the same way today. But I think culture has changed that much. 
maybe. In some parts. I mean, I think there's still certain sections of our society that would view it as... Oh, for sure. Blackmail-worthy material. But he is a Silicon Valley tech founder. I mean, we're talking about world-building that makes bisexuality accustomed or normal. But if you think mm-hmm. of... And going back to In Other Lands, certainly there was all that stuff there to do with gender, but at least within the main cast nobody really looks down upon or judges or comments on Elliot's bisexuality except for that one short-term boyfriend that he has who actually he's sort of a vehicle for some of the things that gay people might say about bisexuality and the extent to which they think it exists but Gentleman's Guide is is historical it's set in a society where there is inbuilt homophobia um, and it's certainly the the source of a lot of the conflict that Monty has with his dad, if I'm remembering it. Yes. Right. Yeah. And so, and it's always interesting thinking about bisexual narratives in historical fiction, whether it is magical realism or not, because you've got these people who have the option, I suppose, of playing straight and living the normal, in quotation marks, life that is expected of them, except for the fact that Monty falls in love with Percy. Well, but Monty also just has casual encounters with boys because he feels like it. Hmm. But there's always right? that sense of something. He doesn't think of it as there being anything wrong. Yes. But there's always that sense of sort of furtiveness, not necessarily guilt, but secret. Right. Which isn't and- there in, in in other lands at all. Like it's just a, it's a whole other element onto the sexuality thing that's just completely removed. And I think that's why one of my other favourite bisexual TV shows is Lost Girl. Mm, yeah. And I don't remember if either of you watched Lost Girl. I have not. I've seen the first season and a half, I think. And so in Lost Girl, and it comes back to another trope, actually, which is bisexual women as not even overly sexual, but like involved in sex work or like... Uh, so Bo is a succubus. But she has meaningful romantic relationships with both a man and a woman, I think even within the first season. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Right? But it's never really a, a problem. Like, her female romantic interest later has a girlfriend and is completely gay, and it's not an issue. It's the, In the world building, it's totally fine. So I think that it's interesting some stories decide to tackle this and some some stories allow their characters to just be bisexual that's just an aspect of themselves and the world doesn't mind and then they get to be disasters for a whole host of other deeply entertaining reasons <laughs> and i haven't seen the most recent season of brooklyn 99 yet but i think with rosa they made it they did do a few episodes on the prospect of coming out to a fairly conservative family they but did, the, yes. But at the same time, the whole point was that Rosa, this was something that had always been part of Rosa and had never come up before because it had never come up because she's canonically an extremely private person. Can we talk about other canonically extremely private people? And... <laughs> Beautiful seeing there. We are now moving on to the portion of the episode where we talk about fanon bisexuals. Yes. Yes. I don't know if you've heard, dear listeners, but Alex has feelings about... <laughs> I do have feelings about... John Reese from Person of Interest. <laughs> so let's have an argument about whether John Reese is bisexual, because I firmly believe that he absolutely is, and that the reason that the show never says so outright is because he is a very private person 
who doesn't really like other people knowing things about him. And so is Harold. And I believe strongly that the show... No, no, no. I don't even believe strongly. I have seen with my own <laughs> eyes the fact that the show knows exactly what it's doing because it has called itself out on what it is doing. It has had another... I need to breathe for a second. I just need to breathe for a second. It has had them adopt a dog together and then make jokes about how they have a dog together and they share custody of this dog together. They are dog owners together, plural. It has also had a moment where another character walks into the room and comments about how they're having a mildly erotic moment. In fairness. Yes. So I realize that I may be wrong about this. This is very much a like personal opinion, which I will not necessarily insist on inflicting on the world. <laughs> but like, you will not take this out of my cold dead hands. The show knows what it's doing, and it's doing. Well, but it on that purpose. doesn't mean. And do and it also has other bisexual characters in the show who are explicitly bisexual. Does it? For example, Shaw. Does she have? Does she ever have a relationship with a man? I think so. Dun dun dun! I can't remember. I'm trying to remember. She seems to have like Shaw comes across to me as bisexual, less because you explicitly see her being attracted to both sexes. No, we do. She seems, for the most part, to find the whole thing so supremely uninteresting that you get the sense she could just sort of tick over in any direction. There was definitely an episode where she was flirting with a man at a bar with root in her earpiece, and it is insinuated that they would have had sex if they had the opportunity. Do you remember yes. that episode? Okay. Yes, yes, yes. I do. I do. So, like, it has an explicitly bisexual character in it, so I feel like it is allowed to have an implicitly bisexual character in it, who is just really private and doesn't like to talk. What kind of what what kind of disaster? What? Is Shaw? No, John. Oh, John? John is halfway between a sad, floppy bisexual and a punch you in the face disaster bisexual. I feel like he punches people in the kneecaps slightly more. <laughs> He's a shoot you in the kneecaps disaster bisexual. <laughs> Sold. But you talking about well, this subtext has reminded me of a subtextual and yet totally canonical bisexual dear to mine and Freya's heart, Mei Chang Su. Yes. Is this Nirvana in fire again? This is Nirvana yes. in fire again. How did I fucking know? I love him so much. I love him. And, all right, how, talk about his he's... categorization for us, Macy. Oh my gosh. Which is he? Uh, he's inflicting, he's terrifyingly competent inflicting chaos on others. But he kind of Isn't has he? some sad floppiness to him. Oh, he definitely has some sad floppiness in that I am going to die and leave everyone behind me is like his raison d'etre. Yeah, and he can't cope with his own personal relationships at all. He copes with them by pretending they don't exist. He copes with them by pretending that he is someone else and actual him is dead. <laughs> yeah, and he can't tell his childhood best friend with whom he is, okay, yes, Fennon, but fairly convincingly in love because that would just be a distraction for everyone in the grand scheme of getting childhood best friend to the throne. I'm sorry, I'm suddenly way interested in this show. Let me tell you, <laughs> Alex, about the epic saga of the adorable baby knights, like soldiers, who are best friends forever and like hang off each other, and one of them has to go to war, while the other one, who is a prince, Hello. has to stay behind. Or is it the other way around? The prince goes to war and the Chaos Lieutenant stays behind, and the prince is instructed to bring back for his beloved a pearl the size of my fist. I feel like you're telling me a lot, like, I know that you've told me information about this show before, but I feel like you're telling me a lot of, like, 
crucial information that is new to me and i'm suddenly way more invested in watching this show than i have been okay, before alex no but, no no let me finish the story okay. let me finish the story so so chaos bisexual stays at home while prince goes off to war to fetch the pearl and while the prince is gone the chaos lieutenant also gets sent off to war and is betrayed and murdered by the emperor and is dead and the prince comes home with clutching his pearl literally and everything he has ever loved has been destroyed around him and all he has is this pearl but he keeps so it. it's sad in the end i oh, know that this all of this is backstory all of this is backstory this doesn't happen on screen remember when we said oh. that the main character mei chang su deals with his feelings by pretending to be dead so okay hold on hold on hold on is this a kill your gaze moment or rather a kill your buys moment or not this so it depends on your it, <laughs> it depends on your feelings about epilogues, okay? Okay. Um, if you are one of the people who discarded the epilogue for Harry Potter, then you can join myself and Freya in discarding the last ten minutes of the last of fucking eighty episodes of this show Jesus. as being non-canonical. Okay. Okay. Or you can just read a lot of Or you can read a lot of fan fiction. Well, we know it. that I do that. But Alex, you are not allowed to watch this show because it has 80 episodes. They are an hour long and you have edits to do. I have edits to do. Oh, and it's in Chinese. And it's in Chinese. I'm fine with that. I have watched things that were in Chinese before. <laughs> well, if you are claiming John Reese and if Macy is claiming Mei Cheng Su, then my dubiously canonical, mostly canonical person from a TV show that already has a canonical bisexual character is going to be Jake Peralta from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Yes! Yeah. Hell yeah. Who is not bisexual as presented in the show, but he is my favorite headcanon bisexual, and if anybody deserves the title of chaotic disaster bisexual, it is Jake Peralta. <laughs> Absolutely. So, disaster though. You, Alex, weren't you going to tell us where that word I, comes from? I was. I meant to tell you way earlier in the episode, but I suppose this will do just as well as any time. Welcome to Alex's Fun Facts Linguistics Corner, where I will Ooh. now tell you about the etymology of disaster, because it's very interesting. And also, the title of this episode is a pun. The title of this episode was, once again, Cross Your Stars and Hope to Buy. And the reason that's funny is because when you take apart the word disaster, the prefix dis means apart, asunder, away, or otherwise a negative or reversing force. And aster is, of course, star. So you can literally translate disaster as star-crossed. Hmm. And, That's beautiful. Yeah, and I think that if we had mentioned this earlier in the episode, we could have brought in a couple points about the relationship of, of star-crossedness to our uh, disaster bisexuals as well, but it's too late for that. I disagree. I think. I mean, that... we're an hour into this episode, Macy. We have to end. <laughs> oh, yes. No, no. We can't go through all of them. Fine. But, like, does a bisexual who wants to be monogamous inherently have to? to be star-crossed in some way like if you're going to demonstrate them having relationships with people of multiple genders oh i think you're maybe possibly misinterpreting my idea about star-crossed because like i'm not necessarily okay. referring to it as just romantic i'm saying like star-crossed in the sense of like cursed to have bad things happen to them or to be ill-fated in some way or to live in interesting or times. to live in interesting times yes for example i would say john reese is a star-crossed disaster bisexual i would say that some of our historical disaster bisexuals like we're an hour in i don't think we need to go down the, the famous historical disaster bisexuals line 
I feel like we have like wrung our towel of fictional bisexuals quite adequately. We have, but maybe we will put a link to the Wikipedia article about Julie Daubigny in the notes because we love her. She is my favourite disaster bisexual of history. But yes, there are many disaster bisexuals in the world. And some bisexuals are even non-disastrous. And some disasters are even non-bisexual. Hi, Alex. <laughs> for joining us for this episode of Be the Serpent, a podcast of extremely, extremely deep literary merit. Man, disaster bisexuals, everyone's favourite chaos magnets. Personally, I waver back and forth between identifying as a disaster bisexual and a murder lesbian, but you know, identity's tricky that way. Sometimes you just feel a little stabby. It's perfectly natural. But we have some even more exciting topics to talk about in upcoming episodes. On the next episode, two weeks hence, on April 25th, we'll be discussing storytelling and meta-narratives. Is history really written by the victors? So if you have a friend who's into that stuff, maybe give them a heads up. Oh, and on the topic of future episodes, we've been recording this cornucopia of serious literary antics for nearly three months now. And episode 10 isn't far off. 10 is a nice number, by general societal accord, and we thought we'd celebrate by doing something special for you, our darling listeners. We've received a delightful array of comments so far, many with excellent points about things we touched on or missed entirely. So for episode 10, we thought we'd invite you to submit your questions, concerns, or outright arguments with any of our previous episodes, and listen to us debate them please email or message them to us by any non-pigeon-related means. Otherwise, I'm going to spend 55 minutes explaining multidimensional algebra to Alex, and our poor scribes have done nothing to deserve that. In the meantime, feel free to continue the conversation with us. Questions? Comments? Breathless adulations? Contact us at serpentcast at gmail.com or at serpentcast on Twitter and Tumblr. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to review us on iTunes. And by the way, that thing you're working on, it's looking great. Keep at it. We're really proud of you. <laughs>